You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 1 of a fanfiction story titled A Place for Crows to Rest Their Feet by today's guest fanfiction writer, Ace with a Paintbrush. The walk is always peaceful, relaxing. The only sounds are the chirping of the birds and the occasional critter rustling in the bushes. The wind moves gently through the trees, and Pedro takes deep and cleansing breaths. This is his yearly pilgrimage, the day he can regain strength for the coming year. He keeps watch for uneven ground or loose rubble. A few months ago, an earthquake had hit the town. It had been weak and had done no property damage, but there had never been an earthquake before that day. The epicenter must have been pretty far away, but you never know what kind of damage it has done elsewhere. Better safe than sorry. Despite his worries, the hike is uneventful. He takes the same path he always does. After 50 years, Pedro feels like he could walk it in his sleep. The flowers in his hands start to wilt after a while, but he doesn't worry. Just around the bend is the part of the river he came to see. He can already hear its current. He made good time today. He should be able to enjoy his snack in peace, linger a bit to dwell on memories, and still be back long before dark. He pushes a big leaf out of his way and finally looks up after what feels like a while. On the last stretch, that is more uneven than the rest of the walk, he always keeps religious watch on his footing after he'd slipped one year and had to walk back with a broken wrist. No need for a repeat of that unpleasant experience. So he looks up, expecting to see a familiar sight, and stops dead in his tracks. There is a hole in the mountains, a giant gap. It looks like a god swung a hammer down and split it in half. Pedro is dumbfounded. Was that the earthquake? But how strong must it have been for it to split a mountain? The river looks like it always does, but something about the atmosphere is strange. There is a weird, heavy feeling in the air. His surroundings seem oddly muted, the river not quite as loud as usual, the colors not quite as vibrant. It is eerie. Pedro tries to ignore it, throws the flowers into the river and watches them bobble on the surface. He speaks the same prayer he always does and tries to picture his Alma's smile and his children's faces. But he can't concentrate. His gaze is constantly wandering to that gap, almost against his will. Pedro eats his snack, much slower than he should, and keeps staring at that gap, his thoughts spinning. Should he check it out? But what does he expect to find? He shouldn't. He'd made good time. But if he goes to check it out, who knows how long it will take. Pedro could get stranded out here in the dark and it gets cold at night, and his back would kill him in the morning, and... No. He really shouldn't. But he does. His Alma had always accused him of acting first and thinking later. At least he can once again prove her right.
to the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Joining us all the way from Germany, our special guest fan fiction writer today is Ace with a paintbrush. She has been a member of AO3 since 2021, and she currently has 10 fan fiction stories posted, one for the Lego Monkey Kid fandom, and nine for Encanto. When she isn't writing, Ace with a paintbrush likes to draw and work on art projects like portraits and still life. She also has an adorable cat who loves to be involved in whatever she is doing and who may chime in during our interview today, which I love. Fur babies are always welcome to share their opinions on fanfiction here on the Fanfic Maverick, so that's great. Ace with a paintbrush, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for inviting me. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here and I'll try to keep my ramblings as much a sense as possible. And if I talk too fast because I'm excited, just honk a horn or something and I'll slow down. We're going to have a lot of fun today. I wanted to start really quick with your origin in fan fiction. Can you tell us how you first discovered fan fiction and do you remember reading your very first one? Yeah, that was that's so long ago. It feels like a lifetime ago. 20 years, I think, at least. I had a friend in school who was obsessed with Naruto. I was the only other kid in school who liked anime and manga and as well, and we bonded over that. But I was more the, I read the manga, I watch the anime, and I enjoy it kind of girl. And she was like, obsessed. She was, she was the real otaku. She had everything, you know, and... She would show me a room and there were posters everywhere and merchandise and and we would go into the cellar of her home and we would watch videos about Naruto and AMVs, uh, anime music videos, all the time and it was a whole different world for me back then. She introduced me to a lot of stuff like uh, shipping and, and fan artists and cosplaying and conventions. What did she cosplay? Uh, Haku. Haku. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like so much fun that you had with her in that cellar. It was. A, <laughs> that sounds like kind of dirty, but we had a lot of fun in the cellar. Yes. <laughs> I was a casual fan and she was like the 110%. Like she just showed me a lot. And that was the first time I even heard about fan fiction, what that was. And that, that just sounded wild to me. Fan fiction. I mean, you take characters from your favorite show and you just write stories about them and you write whatever you want. And I mean, those two aren't a couple in a show. What do you mean? That doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, you can make them kiss just like that, but they don't even meet in the show. What? It was just wild. I mean, you can ignore someone dying. I mean, I, I hope I don't spoil anyone, but Haku dies. Like, she was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> not for us. Not for us fans. <laughs> Never for us fans. <laughs> and from there, it was pretty much a rabbit hole into different fandoms. And yeah, that's how it started. Oh, my God. So your first fan fiction that you ever read, it sounds like it was Naruto. No, actually not. <laughs> I can't tell you what was the first one. I think it was Stargate Atlantis. I think. But I'm... I'm like I said, 20 years, I'm not sure. I just, 
I just remember that it was on Life Journal. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> the very first pick was on Life Journal, and then I found, of course, fanfiction.net. It was the early days of fanfiction.net. I call it the dark days. It was a wild place. It was like every fic had this disclaimer like, I don't make profit. Please don't sue me. I have nothing. And I was like, whoa, writing fanfiction. That, that seems like dangerous stuff. That's really dangerous. What brave souls you are. <laughs> really, it felt like, like forbidden fruit or something. Like they could actually, when you don't put that into disclaimer, that they could actually find you and sue you. And I was like, oh, wow. And you're still right. That's so brave. <laughs> like I said, I was a stupid kid. It was just such a different world. The authors were having conversations with the characters in the notes. And there were words I had never heard before, like slash and OOC and ABO. AU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, AU. Exactly. AU. What's AU? One fig was marked as lemon, and I had no idea what that was supposed to mean. So, of course, a snot nose bread that I clicked at and read it, and was like, whoa, oh, 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 oh boy. <laughs> I grew up very fast. <laughs> oh, I'm into that. Weird. Uh, yeah. No. But I also remember reading all those, these stories and being blown away by the quality. Like, they read, like, professional novels, like, actual episodes of some show or something, totally in character and the scenery and everything was just amazing. And it was all for free. You know, it was just there and you could read it. And over the years, I read more and more and more and more fandoms and more pairings, of course. And now we are at the point where, after I've seen a good movie or TV show, the first thing I check is AO3. To see how many fanfics there are. <laughs> That's where we are in life right now. So, yeah. Oh, I'm the same way, though. It sucked me in right away after I discovered fanfiction. And now I do the same exact thing you do. When I discover a show or a movie that I really love, first thing you do, go check AO3. Yep. <laughs> the credits are still rolling and I'm like, okay, let's check how much is there. <laughs> You know what? Sometimes I don't even wait for the credits. Sometimes <laughs> I have one eye on the TV and one eye on AO3, and I'm multitasking. How do you enjoy shows without fanfiction? How do you enjoy shows? <laughs> yes. That's such a good point, though, right? Because I don't know about you, but I don't even watch TV shows anymore without that fanfiction component. If it's a show that I love, I'm going to read the fanfiction about it. No question. And some shows I just started because I saw a fan fiction by an author I really like. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I will check out the show. Like, it's a give and take, I guess. <laughs> oh, you've done that too. As an example, what's one show that you started out with the fan fiction on and then later actually watched the actual show? Um, what was it? NCIS was the first one, I think. Naval Criminal Investigative Service, that show... Team as Family is, is my jam. It's, <laughs> I love it. And there were a lot of fanfics about that team, that investigator team being like a family and, and Gibbs, the guy, the, the older guy being like a father to all the others. And I, I read one fic, I think, and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I checked out a few episodes, not the whole show. I stopped watching a long time ago, but that was the first one where I thought, oh, I kind of like the, these characters and I wonder what the show is like. 
I gonna check that out. <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of NCIS fan fiction back in the 2000s, also on LiveJournal. I never checked out the show, but it's one of my mom's favorite shows. She watches it all the time. I wanted to ask you about your writing life. I know that you haven't been on AO3 too terribly long, but I wanted to know if you've been writing before that. Did you always want to be a writer? I always loved writing. I couldn't even write my own name and I was already writing little short stories. <laughs> I guess you need a sacred text or something to translate my first short story because I just I couldn't write, but I wanted to write. So it's like just gibberish, but you know, my mom's probably still had it somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, I always wanted to write. So when I discovered fan fiction, it was of course like a godsend. It was like, Oh, I gotta try that. I gotta try that. I, I read a lot of Stargate Atlantis fan fiction. I, I don't know if it was my first, but I read a lot because I love the characters, um, McKay and Shepard. And I love the, the two of them together. Not necessarily romantical. I love that too. Mac Shep. <laughs> I was a fan, but I also love the friendship and just their relationship because they were so different and there was such great dynamic and potential and so I read a lot of that and of course someday there was that like that oh, I want to write too I want to write myself I, I have an idea a little idea I want to I want to try so I just started one day and well of course I, I wrote it in English because all the fanfics I have read were in English I don't think I've ever read a German fanfic of Stargate Atlantis and it was horrible. It was horrible English. And I was still in school at the time, so I only had my school English, which was useless, absolutely useless. At school in Germany, we learned how to interpret poems and what kind of metaphors an author used and what they mean for the story. As if coming to the USA, you, you are going to be asked to interpret a poem by Shakespeare or something. Like, useless for casual conversation. It's just useless. and. To be honest, English was one of my worst grades. Math and physics, they were horrible, and English was pretty much back there. <laughs> so it was my, my English was really bad. And I got better and better and better over the years. And my English teacher was like, ah, oh, you're my shining example. I use you when, when I have bad English pupils. I use you as an example that it does get better. And I was like, yeah, but that's not thanks to you. That's thanks to slash fan fiction, <laughs> actually. But I never told her, but maybe I should have. I don't know. <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, that's not, that's not thanks to you. Because after a, a few of those chapters where I was just like tapping the keys somewhere in the English region, I guess, a very, very nice person uh, took pity on me and contacted me and offered to be my better reader. And I, of course, was accepted, of course. <laughs> and I learned so much from that because they really went the extra mile for me. They color-coded the errors and spelling was blue and grammar was green, so to say. And they explained to me why that was a mistake, why it doesn't work like that, or why a sentence is just not working like that and how I should actually phrase it. And... It's really through fan fiction and that better reader that I've learned real English. You know, the, the English that you actually need in day-to-day -day life. Not Shakespeare and this weird language, but 
the thing you need to get to know people and to get your thoughts across. And I always be thankful. I always be thankful to, to that person and to fan fiction, I guess, for letting me have my fun and uh, <laughs> not insulting me because as bad as my English was, there were always readers who read and who commented how much they liked it. And that was just a really nice experience, I think. So I always be grateful to that better reader and to all those wonderful people that commented on the fic, despite the horrible grammar and spelling. They were the real troopers <laughs> out there reading through that weird, weird Denglish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that story so much for so many reasons. Never let it be said that Slash is a waste of time. The potential for fan fiction to be able to teach us things about different languages and different cultures and things like that, I think is so wonderful. But I love that story, too, because I think it really speaks to the very generous community that we have with fan fiction and fan fiction writers and readers. Some of the most generous people I've ever met in my life have been in the fan fiction community, that we give our time and our energy to help each other with the projects that we're working on, I think is just so fabulous. And I think really speaks to just how wonderful online fandom communities can be. So I love that story so much. That's beautiful. And I wanted to ask you something about opinions on fan fiction in your country. Here in the United States, when I was growing up as a teenager and a young adult, I remember that fan fiction was very much like a taboo thing. You touched on that earlier when you were talking about your early days on LiveJournal and fanfiction.net with all of those people putting the disclaimers on their stories and being like, don't sue me, please. And it was this sort of cloak and dagger kind of secret underground thing, right, that people did writing fanfiction and reading fanfiction. And it wasn't really something that was acceptable to talk about in mainstream places with people who didn't know about fan fiction. A lot of people in mainstream had, I would say, very negative opinions on fan fiction. And I was just wondering, were you aware as you were growing up of opinions on fan fiction with your fellow community members in your real life? Did they have thoughts on stuff like that? I thought about it a lot, and it's really hard for me to say because Growing up, they weren't really talking about that of fan art and fan fiction and fandom at all. I mean, I talked about how I only had that one friend who was into anime and, and manga. And the others were just like, yeah, that's cartoon. And we we're like, no, that's not cartoons. It's uh, okay. It's Japanese cartoons, but it's different. <laughs> and yeah, well, no one I knew except for that one friend was actually interested in this stuff like that, or at least not openly talking about it. No one. I ever knew was writing fan fiction either. That friend, not either. She just enjoyed reading it, but she wasn't writing it. And I myself never really talked about it. Um, I can't even tell you why I never told that friend, for example, except for maybe it's the same when you write a book and you want everyone to read it, but the people that know you. <laughs> Actually, one person did know about my fan fiction writing, and it was actually my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she knew because at first I couldn't type it right into the computer. I couldn't do that. I had to write it down by hand. So I had lots of notebooks and I would write it down by hand and then transfer it to the computer. And so, of course, my mom always saw me writing into a notebook. And one day she was like, well, what are you doing? What are you writing all the time? And I was like, 
there's this thing. And I tried to explain it to her without mentioning MacShep and <laughs> Slash and Smut and just I'm writing stories about these characters and posting online and it's it's a multi-chapter thing and I enjoy it. And she was really into that. Uh, she really liked that because I guess she thought my daughter is writing English stories in her free time. That's actually good. Maybe her grades will get better. <laughs> I think. I, I never asked her if she thought that. But she was really nice about it and was like, oh, that's interesting. And But that's a mom thing. So I, I don't know if any friends would have actually reacted like that. I really doubt it because already liking anime and manga, you were already like a little bit weird. <laughs> it was considered a little bit weird if you were really into Naoto. She was a little bit of an outsider. Not a lot, but a little bit. And it wasn't widely accepted. I, I think the community has grown a lot since then. There are more and more artists and writers and a lot of conventions where you connect with others. Back then, there was one kind of big convention where you could meet others like that. And nowadays, there are like almost every weekend, there's some kind of fan meeting happening in a park or somewhere. And you walk through the city and you see cosplayers just walking around and doing photo shoots and stuff like that. That was unthinkable back then. I love to hear that, though. I do love to hear that because, you know, it was the same when I was growing up fandom people were considered weird and cringy and uh and now it's kind of like this badge of honor if you're a fandom person that's not weird that's cool people think that's cool now there has been a notable shift i think when it comes to fandoms and fans like you said wearing a superhero shirt we would automatically considered nerd like a capital n nerd now it's cool. Now everyone does it. Now you're weird if you don't have one uh, superhero clothing in your closet. And it's become a lot more mainstream. And now when you tell someone about fan fiction, that first reaction is, oh, that's cringe. Why? 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 <laughs> it's more like, I think I have heard about that before. That sounds interesting. Tell me more. I recently told a friend about my fan fiction. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, and, and you do that? And, and what's that called? And what do you do? And there was interest and not, oh, that sounds weird. <laughs> you are weird. <laughs> now it's a lot more accepted and people want to know what you're talking about when you're talking about fan fiction. And I think that's pretty cool. But just for fun, I actually used the filters on the Encanto tag on io3 and search for german fix and there are over 9000 english and kangaroo fix there are only nine by the time i looked this up there were only nine german fan fictions and oh my goodness i mean <laughs> comparing those two that's that's not a lot only nine only nine nine yes <laughs> i have a really really hard time writing in german i have written an original novel in german of course, and I actually finished it, which was the first, <laughs> but it was hard. It was really hard. On paper, English is just better for me, I think. <laughs> but I mean, seeing that difference, 9,000 against versus 9, <laughs> you would think that fanfiction is not a big deal here in Germany, but I think that's really misleading because I think a lot of German and generally European writers 
they do what I do. They just write in English because the reach is just so much bigger. You just write for yourself, of course, but you put a lot of work into it. So you want a lot of people to see it, of course, and, and to read it. And I have actually chatted with quite a lot of people on Tumblr and we were chatting in English and, and suddenly one of us was like, wait, wait, wait are you German? And like, yeah. Oh my God, me too. And we were just weeks and months chatting in English, like some undercover agent or something, when we could have chatted in our mother language the whole time. <laughs> because it's just the default language by now, I think, online. And yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is just when you're chatting with someone, just ask them where they come from. Maybe they are just around the corner from you. Yes, you never know. You never know. And I think that you're correct. There are a lot of fan fiction writers and readers from all over the world. I can see who's listening to the podcast from all over the world. And I like to look at my European friends, you know, because that's just always interesting to me. And Germany is the third largest group of my European friends that listen to the show. So uh, we actually have quite a few German listeners. So I think this is exciting that we have you on today representing Germany here. I think that's just wonderful. I wanted to ask you about tropes. As fan fiction readers and writers, we all have our favorite fan fiction tropes that we like reading and writing about the most. I was just wondering what yours are. Give me all the bunch of misfits, find each other and grow into a tight knit group content you have. Like, I'm gonna eat that shit right up. Even better if one of them is reluctant at the start, but won over by all the support and protectiveness and love which they have never known before. Ah, oh, I just, I love that. I'm a simple girl. Just give me a platonic affection and love between a bunch of characters, different characters, and, and the warm and fuzzy feelings will melt my brain. I just really enjoy the close relationships that don't automatically end in romances or sex. I love a good romance, of course, but, but give me characters that understand each other and take one look at one each other and, and just know what's going through their heads and what the other needs right now. And I think not nearly enough media focuses on that kind of relationship and form of love that's just as valid as the romantic kind of love. And that's why I get my content anywhere I can. And fame fiction is just the best place for that. And I love that. I love that because I was just thinking that when you said it, Found family, I feel like, is one of the most popular tropes that I keep hearing about. I love found family, too. And when I ask other fan fiction people what they love, found family comes up a lot. But then I think, you know, we're hungry for that, right? We're so hungry for that dynamic. So we're finding it in fan fiction. That's where we're getting that. And we just can't get enough of it. Honestly, I'll never get tired of that trope, ever. No, never. You you can serve me the same fan fiction from different authors with the same idea. I just, I read it and I read it and I will love it every time. <laughs> I can't get enough of that. And we don't get that enough in the media. And I think we all crave stories like that because who doesn't want their own found family or team as family, right? And I just, it tickles something in my brain. I just love it. Yes. Well, you know, I think especially in modern society, when it seems like in modern society, we tend to be a little bit isolated sometimes, right? Especially as we get older, 
I know that as I get older, it's harder and harder for me to find friends, you know, make new acquaintances. I crave the found family because I just feel like in modern society, sometimes we're a little lacking that in our real life. Desensitized. Yes, desensitized to it. Yes, we're looking for that sense of community and that sense of connection. And so we're just naturally drawn, I think, a lot of us are, to that found family trope because it gives us those feelings of acceptance and love and community that we're all craving. Like you said, we're all craving that at some level. So now I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on fan fiction as a concept. I wanted you to tell us what are your favorite things about fan fiction and to you, what makes fan fiction unique and compelling? I thought a long time on that and I'm afraid I may sound a little pretentious, but hear me out, please. I think fanfiction is capable of making us more tolerant and open-minded human beings. Boom. <laughs> that sounds so big. I think that when you read fanfiction, but especially when you write it yourself, you are forced to use that empathy every one of us has uh, to the max. Like when you write original stories, you have all of these characters with their own agendas and they are different and unique, of course, but they are still yours. They are still... They still come out of your own head and they draw from your own thoughts and your own ideas and your own experiences. With fanfiction, you get a character, not your own, and you need to figure out why are they acting like that? Why do they say that? Or why do they believe that? Or think that? Even when you write the villains or the characters you just don't like, you, you need to put effort into them to make them believable. You need to empathize with their motives at least a little bit and their history, and sometimes they actually surprise you. I'm speaking from experience here, because at first I didn't like Alma Matrigal, the, the grandmother from the Encanto movie. She was my least favorite by far, and not just because I was, oh, I'm a bad, I'm a hurt the family, she's, she's so mean, but because I didn't really get her. I couldn't empathize with her, so to say. But then I started reading fanfics, and while some of them certainly like to blame her for everything and paint her as this big villain, a lot of writers are actually very empathetic towards her and people that know generational trauma from their own experiences and know what it does to people and what it does to the family and they gave her a lot of nuances and they got her where I didn't. And in turn, they gave me a better understanding of her and then I started writing my first one-shot for Encanto and... It was actually from Alma's point of view and Alma-centric, actually. And by then, I still didn't like the character, but I felt with her and I had no desire to bash her or anything. So I had to get into her head myself and I had to get to know her and I had to build up my own idea about her. Would she do that? And if yes, why? And is that still in character or is this my own bias making her say these words? You know, so... If I wanted my story to be true to the source material, to Alma, but also true to myself and my own interpretations of her, I had to be empathetic and I had to be open to that character that didn't really speak to me. And at the end of the writing experience, I was like, oh, you know what, Alma, you're actually not that bad. <laughs> and I had known that there were layers to her character before that, of course, but now I was, after spending time with her on paper, so to say, and, and her mindset, I can actually see those layers and I can understand them. 
Yes, fan fiction made her real. It made her real, right. <laughs> and generally speaking, it's also just interesting to see how different people interpret the same characters. Of course, there are outliers who pretty much just butcher the characterization that we were giving to work with to fit their own story. But mostly it's just a lot of different people with different histories and different life experiences. And they're looking at the same character we all are. And they're seeing someone and something completely different than you do. And in the end, it's all still valid. You you would have never thought about it like that. But afterwards, you go, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. That's actually a brilliant take. I take it. I, I assimilate that hat cannon. Thank you very much. <laughs> I guess what I'm just trying to say is fan fiction forces us to look beyond the 90 minutes of the movie or the two seasons of the show or the five books we get. If we want to keep the story moving and keep these characters and their stories alive, we have to be ready to see and acknowledge other perspectives apart from our own. It forces us to see beyond ourselves, I think. And, and those who are willing to do that may learn something new about themselves, too. I mean, I learned a lot of things about myself in, over the years. So, yeah, that was me being a little bit pretentious, but that's really how I feel. I really feel if you... You are ready to dive into the experience of writing fan fiction, of writing about other characters that came not out of your own head. You are actually better able to understand other people as well in the real world, so to say. I would agree, though, with that interpretation 100%. I don't care if it sounds pretentious either. I came to a lot of those same conclusions because I've been, I've been reading fan fiction for 25 years, and I know that I can trace a lot of my ability to understand people in my real life to reading fan fiction. And that experience of seeing these characters interpreted over and over and over and over again from lots of different fan fiction authors and getting to understand them in different ways and being able, like you said, to empathize with them over and over and over, I feel like it's helped me understand people in a way that I don't think I would be able to without the experience of fan fiction. Thank you very much. <laughs> it might be a hot take, but I really think growing up reading fan fiction, you are actually pretty well able to judge others, but don't judge them harshly because you actually get that you don't know anything about them. And they are layers and everyone's got their story. Yes, fan fiction shows us that there are layers, right, to everybody. And there are reasons why they behave the way they do, why they think the way they do, the choices that they've made. It shows us sometimes the things that have happened to them that shape their personality and who they are. So yeah, I think it's really, really good for stuff like that. And I love that. Well, and especially with Encanto. I love that we're talking about Encanto today. Because that concept of past histories and generational traumas definitely comes through with the Encanto story. I will be perfectly honest with everybody. I sort of resisted watching Encanto for a really long time. I finally did break down a couple of weeks ago and I sat down and I watched it for the first time. Loved it. Beautiful film. The animation is gorgeous. The music is wonderful. And the story is gorgeous. But I wanted to know about your like introduction to Encanto. How were you introduced to this fandom? And what are parts of the story that you like the most? 
was actually exactly the other way around for me. <laughs> Let me first say Encanto, my beloved. I love it. I had seen the teaser trailer ages ago and I remember thinking, ah, classic Disney. Gotta remember for a rainy day, maybe. Let's see. And then it was released in cinemas and I saw a lot of fan art and people freaking out about certain characters. And I grew very curious. So the first day it was released online, I, I immediately watched it. It was a Christmas day, I think. And I was supposed to go to a family dinner, but I was like, oh, I still have two hours. I can watch it. <laughs> and so I watched it and I cried like five times, maybe, maybe more. And I immediately watched it again and I cried some more. So a lot of crying going on. I just fell madly in love with all that world and the characters and the animation. Of course, the animation is amazing. I've never seen the camera, so to speak, used like that in a movie. The, the camera is moving with the characters. And I've never seen that in an animated movie. That That really struck me. And the music, not even just songs like We Don't Talk About Bruno and stuff like that, but the background music it was really beautiful as well. And I just everything and just, I love just everything about this. And this is such a heartfelt movie and you just can tell the love the people put into this. And usually the main character, the protagonist, the main characters, they don't interest me too much usually. But Mirabel is different. I love her a lot, uh, right from the start, and her struggles, and her determination, and her connection with the family, good and bad. And I think what I loved, and still love the most, are the emotions. This movie doesn't even need to say much, and you immediately get what the characters are feeling and going through. That scene, Antonio holding out his hand to Mirabel during the ceremony. We didn't even need that, I need you. His face was already doing all the talking. I was already crying before he even said that. And, <laughs> and the flashback where we see Mirabel's daughters appear. I was sick a couple of months ago and I was really bored. So I was watching a lot of videos on YouTube where someone is watching the movie and reacting to it. Those reaction videos. And every single one, the moment Mirabel's door disappears, they are all like so shocked and you can just see the color draining out of the faces and they're all going oh and oh my god and, oh no and all of them no exception and i mean we are maybe 20 minutes into this movie and the people behind it have all made everyone care so much for that little girl that everyone is just like you can't do this how dare you do this to mirabel yes so definitely the emotions and i mean i do cry every time at certain things and and let's not forget it got me back into writing fan fiction after at least 10 years of absence so 10 years be grateful and Encanto is what brought you back yeah pretty much I, I had written that one Lego movie monkey kit fanfic you mentioned in, in the beginning I got inspiration for that one that was maybe 900 words or something uh, i wrote that on my phone and i hated every second of it because my thumbs were hurting but yeah that was the first one i wrote after 10 years at least and then i saw that movie and I had so many ideas this movie gave me, gave me so many ideas and concepts and thoughts and uh, i just uh, i wrote that one one shot and reception was really great and i was just like Ah, oh, I, I remember why I love doing this. 
writing fan fictions, interacting with others, and just putting my thoughts on paper. And yeah, it uh, was a slow but steady decline back into fan fiction, and I'm very happy to be back. I am so happy to hear that. I love stories like that, where a writer takes a break for a long time, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this fandom. And it just gives you so much inspiration and fills you with so many feelings and emotions, and you just can't help yourself. You have to create. It sounds like Encanto was just the springboard of inspiration for you, and I love to hear that. Exactly that. You put it perfectly into words. It was a springboard. And I dived in, and I'm very happy I did. <laughs> oh, your fan fiction is beautiful. We're going to talk about that in just a second here. But first, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Bruno. When I was reading your fan fiction, I did come across one of your author's notes where you mentioned that Bruno was one of your favorite Encanto characters. And I really found myself gravitating towards Bruno myself. He was just a very interesting character to me. So I was wondering what part of Bruno's character specifically is the most interesting to you? That circles back a little bit to the earlier stuff I said. Bruno is such a multifaceted character. Like, pretty much everyone sees something different in him because they can find something different about themselves in his character. There's a lot of discussion whether he has OCD or autism or other mental problems. I, I won't try to diagnose him. I'm not qualified for that. I'm not a therapist. But I do think that just the fact that you can have these discussions, and I think every opinion is valid. I think uh, everyone's got a point when they point something out about him and why they think he has OCD or autism or whatever, because they may be suffering from those things themselves and they see stuff about themselves and his character and uh, I think that's why he speaks to a lot of people and why he's such a good and beloved character the representation he represents <laughs> and he's the odd one out the guy everyone loves to blame for all the bad things happening he's got such a bad rap the whole movie almost and and the truth is that the only thing he's ever done is care for and love his family and maybe he went about it not the perfect way i mean uh, i mean 10 years in awards mm. but he did it because he loved this family so much and he is misunderstood and misjudged by his own family for basically almost the whole movie and i think a lot of people we all know how that can feel sometimes i think that's it just speaks to a lot of people this character oh i love that analysis i really do because you know I was sitting there trying to understand why I liked Bruno so much. And sometimes it's hard for me to articulate that. I really love your point about him being so multifaceted that lots of us can see parts of ourselves in Bruno. I think that's absolutely correct. I love that. I personally love how awkward he is. But <laughs> at the same time, he's actually a badass, if you think about it. I mean, that moment at the end of the movie where he confronts Alma at that lake and that's the first time he's seen her in 10 years. And just a few minutes earlier, we seen him hide behind a plant because he didn't <laughs> run into her because he was scared. And he just rides up there with that horse and he's like, Yo, Alma, you got a bone to pick? I'm your guy. Leave my knees alone. I always thought that was really badass. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I just always think he's cute, but he's also badass because, I mean, let's face it, He's pretty darn cute for a 50-year-old shut-in with rats. 
There, I said it, and I'm not gonna take it back. He is cute. He's adorable. I love him. But he's also a badass. Yeah? He's adorable, and I, I loved that they put a little bit of gray in his hair. Because I'm like, okay, he looks like me. That's great. I have gray in my hair now, too. So I totally appreciated that. But it is so endearing to watch him. He's so protective, right, of Mirabelle. Because everything that he did, right, was to protect her. And he's still doing it, right? Even after he comes out of the wall. That's what motivates him to confront his family a little bit, that he just wants to protect her and keep on doing that, which I thought was just such an endearing quality for Uncle Bruno. So I read your fan fiction. It is called A Place for Crows to Rest Their Feet. I loved, loved, loved this fan fiction. There are so many things to love about it. I would categorize it as AU. I love AU stories, so that's probably part of why I love this story so much. But it just had so many different elements that were just so interesting. I was hoping that you could tell us what this fan fiction is about. And then I was hoping that you could also tell us where your inspiration came from for this story. First of all, thank you for your very nice words. Maybe I start with the inspiration first, because after my first viewing of Encanto, I immediately noticed the difference between Alma talking about Pedro's death in the beginning, versus how it's depicted in the end of the movie. In the, in the beginning, it's very kid-friendly. She's like, your abuelo Pedro was lost, and we just see him fade out to the sunset, so to say. And we all know what that means, but it's a very kid-friendly way of saying he was killed. <laughs> and we get this whole shebang of emotions, and we are left sobbing on the floor. Kudos to the directors for that one, by the way. Very effective storytelling. At the time, I, I just I couldn't help thinking that we never actually see him die. I mean, of course we don't see him get cut down. It's a, it's a Disney movie still, after all. But there's no ominous shadow like in Tarzan. You, you know that scene where the guy falls and it's just a lifeless shadow and, and we all see it and we all know what it means. <laughs> Or a lifeless hand falling into the water that's reddish or anything like that. So we just see that Ryder raises his sword and um, then we immediately cut to Alma and we see her collapse down into tears. And I mean, all well and good. I mean, we all know what happened, right? We don't need to see it. But I just started wondering, oh, hey, what if he didn't die? And I made this just real quick tumble post about it. I wrote it on the way home from work on my phone. And it was just like 100 words or so about how I imagined that reunion post-movie could happen. A, a really old man hobbling into town and going up to that house and seeing them and them seeing him. And this post just blew up. It was like crazy. A lot of people when it knows like, I would read a fan fiction like that. And, oh, where's the fanfic OP? And uh, this is the only AU I care about now. And, and, and I watched that in amazement. I was like, oh, could I? could I really write something like that? And the, the immediate answer was no. That's too big. That's too big for me. That's The emotional turmoil would have to be handled with a lot of care and be given a lot of time. A fic like that would have been too massive to be believable and enjoyable. And I had just started to get back into writing, right? And I was like, that's too big for me. No, 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 I'm not doing that. Let someone else do that. <laughs> But it wouldn't leave my head. It ruminated in my head, you know. And I kept thinking about it all the time in the shower, on the way home, and in the bed at night. And I was thinking, like, how would he find them again? How would that happen? And 
when he found them again, how would the characters react? What kind of conflicts would they have and feel and face? And before I knew it, I had started a notes document on my phone with ideas for the story, and suddenly I had the first chapter and ideas for other chapters, and well, after hyping myself up for a while, I decided, okay, I'll just try, I'll just upload the first chapter and see how it's, it will be received. And well, it went off. <laughs> and the reception was just phenomenal to that first chapter. And I was blown away. And I was like, oh shit, now I, now I have to write this thing. And I've been writing and writing and writing. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And well, it's essentially about what if Pedro hadn't died? What if uh, he had just been injured really, really badly and washed down that river far, far away? And in my story, it just needed a lot of time to recover. And when he got back to that place where they were attacked, it was all different. There were suddenly mountains and, and he couldn't find the path they were supposed to take. And he's thinking like, if Alma was still alive, she would look for me too. And so he's thinking she died. So he was found by a town and he lived in that town for 50 years, thinking that his family had died. And uh, he does a little hike to that place every year on the day it happened to pay his respects, so to say. And so the story picks up post-movie where in the end of the movie, the mountains break apart. So he goes to that place to pay his respect once again. And he sees, oh, there's a giant split in the mountains. That's weird. That's never been there before. And he's a curious guy. So he goes to check it out and he finds that village hidden in the valley. And he's like, oh, what's that? And, and people are like, oh, a stranger. And oh, you look like you need some rest. Why don't you go to the Madrigals and they will take care of you? And he's just was just blowing his mind because his name's Madrigal. And well, he goes to the Madrigals and he sees Arma and he recognizes her immediately. And that's where it takes off. He finds his family after 50 years thinking they were dead and them thinking he was dead. And it's a sense, it's a story about finding something you thought was lost forever. I mean, Pedro was gone for 50 years. Things have changed. He's not the same. His family is not the same. <laughs> His kids are adults and they have their own kids now. And um, I mean, how do we deal with something like that? Where's the line between I once loved this person, so of course I know him and I love him. And and on the other hand, I love him, but this is a stranger now. I, I I don't know who this is anymore. And I mean, how much love remains after so much distance and time and well, a lot of heavy topics, which is the reason I was so hesitant to do it. <laughs> but yeah, with that first chapter, I committed myself and I'm seeing this through to the end. <laughs> I'm so glad, though. I'm so glad that you decided to tackle this. Major kudos to you for tackling it because I can absolutely see why you hesitated to begin this project in the first place because you are absolutely correct that there are so many heavy topics that you are tackling here. It just felt to me as I was reading through this that there are so many emotions that you have to address. These people have all been separated for 50 years. Can you imagine? 50 years. You haven't seen your children grow up. You never saw them as kids or teenagers. You missed their marriages. You missed them having children of their own. You don't know any of your grandkids. 
and you haven't seen your wife in 50 years. And while you love her, both of you are different people now. You're addressing topics like the grief of missing out on all those years, you know, and the joy of being reunited after all this time. And then how complicated is it when you're trying to integrate yourself now into the lives of your family, but you don't know them and they don't know you? Those are such heavy topics, but so So fascinating. (laughs) Yes. So, so heavy. (laughs) You can't write a story like that and be like, oh, Pedro sees Alma, Alma sees Pedro. They are like, oh, yes, uh, that's everything fine. And I said that in the first notes of the first chapter, you can't write a story like that in five to six chapters. Maybe if the chapters themselves are 20 or 30,000 words long, right? But I'm hitting 100,000 words soon, and it still doesn't feel like enough. <laughs> but we're entering the end stretch, so to say. But yeah, it's, it's just it's a heavy topic, and it's a heavy story, really. And yeah, I was, I was really hesitant to start, but I'm really happy I did. Yeah, no, I am too, because I feel like you have handled all of those topics with grace. You've treated them all very seriously and gracefully. And it's just so fascinating to me, especially because you have allowed each character to react to Abuelo coming back into their lives in their own different ways. You've allowed them to do that and given them space to do that. And it's so interesting to see the different reactions. I have loved seeing that and seeing how each character kind of works through this in their own way, in their own time, and how they're all each struggling with it individually. I was wondering what your experience was writing with Abuelo Pedro as your main character for this story, because we don't really know a whole lot about him from canon. We know that he died. You know, we see him die in canon. That's really all we know about this man. So we don't know anything about who he was, what his personality was like, or anything like that. So I imagine that you kind of had to build his character and personality from the ground up here. So I was wondering if you could tell us what that experience was like, what your process was for crafting Pedro for this particular fan fiction. Well, I knew from the start that he had to fit in into the family, of course. So no asshole or old bitter Pedro for me. I never wanted him to be like this bitter old person. His lust cut deeply, um, even more deeply than for Alma, I think, because he didn't just lose his wife. But his kids as well, and and Elma at least had the kids and the magic and the Encanto. Um, so of course I let him have a bad time at first, and he was bitter at first. But I truly believe that for my fan fiction, I work with the uh, theory that the miracle that saved them all didn't need a, a blood sacrifice, so to say. I mean, Pedro didn't need to die. <laughs> that would be like a blood sacrifice, if you ask me. And It was just his love for the family, his willingness to sacrifice himself because he loved them so, so much. And maybe even coupled with Alma's grief, that was what brought the magic to life and the miracle to life. So that he didn't die didn't change anything about the miracle and about the love he felt for them. So his love still saved his family and I wanted this love to save him as well, so to speak. So in the beginning of the story, he is bitter and he is dangerously close to growing into this old bitter man and that hates everything and everyone, but he remembers his family and his love for his family and 
he knows that Alma and his kids, they would never want that for him. So he um, grabs that love and he gets his act together, so to speak. So that, that was a very important thing to me that the show of love didn't just save Alma and the kids. It saved him as well. Now that he's found them again, I imagine him, I don't know if it comes across well in the story, but I wanted to give him an underlying sense of desperation. I wanted to give this underlying sense of desperation to everything he does because he wants to connect so badly to them. Alma had the kids and then the grandkids and he had nothing. He So he wants to feel connected to them so, so bad. He would love nothing more than to just slot into their lives like he's never left, but he he's not stupid. He knows it's not that easy, but knowing doesn't really help. Like you said, he's lost so much time already and he doesn't want to lose any second longer. And he's repeatedly telling himself that the past is the past. We can change that. And he wants to make the most of it now and of the present and of the future they still have together. But he can tell himself that as much as he wants, it will never really leave his mind and it never really leaves the mind of the others how much time they have lost. And especially the unfairness of it all. Pepper suffers from that, especially this knowledge that it was all for nothing, really. Pedro didn't need to die for them to get their miracle. He just needed to be willing to. And if he had fallen or something else, he could have been with them. He could have lived with them and seen them grow up and grown old with them. And it's just unfair. And this unfairness of it all, it kind of puts a shadow over everything. And, and they try to not let it bother them too much, but it's bubbling under the surface. Let's call it that. And... It's going to lead to some conflict soon. <laughs> I love that you put in conflict because I think that that makes the story so rich and so interesting on all of these different intricate levels. I think I mentioned a couple of minutes ago how each character in your story reacts to Pedro coming back in their own different, unique way. Which is one of the things I've really enjoyed about the story is just seeing the goings-on from different character perspectives. Was there a favorite character perspective that you enjoyed writing from the most for this story? Yes. But to come back to the other thing, everyone reacting differently, that was really important to me that they're all not just happy. None of them are 100% happy. They, they are happy, of course, but there's always that little but. I'm happy, but why did it have to happen that way? I'm happy, but I don't know this man. I'm happy, but what will this mean to the family after all we've already been through? Uh, how will he fit in? A really big point of the story is also expectations. The villagers and Alma, they have told a lot of stories about Pedro. No one, no one in the family except Alma actually knew Pedro. He died before that. We are all familiar with the concept, you don't speak ill of the dead. So, of course, they told a lot of stories where he's like, good-looking, big, strong man with humor, and he was friendly, and he was nice to everyone. And, I mean, Pedro also has to fight against those, those expectations, because he has to show everyone, hey, you know, I'm just human. I'm not that all-knowing, super-strong saint who can do no wrong. I am a little clumsy and I put my foot into my mouth and I sometimes speak before I think. 
sometimes I want to get into a fight with all of these villagers. <laughs> but yes, Bruno's point of view was really challenging for me because he's my favorite. And I had actually never really written from his point of view before. It was all, a lot of my fics are Bruno-centric because he's my favorite. <laughs> but I've never actually written from his point of view before. So this one chapter completely from his point of view, that was a real challenge because I wanted to him justice. And that was quite nerve-wracking because I thought, I hope I do this right. <laughs> and the most fun I had was with Peppa. I love writing her because she's so... I think she's really expressive and passionate. She is the one who has to suppress her emotions because of her gift. But I think she's actually the most passionate. And I love writing her point of view because you can actually let the character trait shine. I just had a lot of fun with her. And I also, in a different way, enjoy writing Alma a lot. Because, full disclosure, she is still not my favorite. Still not. But I do enjoy her character, her complexities, all the things that make her sh who she is. There's this tag on AO3 that's like, I'm a Madrigal twice. And I love that <laughs> because that's exactly what I always keep in mind when I write her. She tries. She's flawed and she's complicated and she's not always doing the right thing, but she tries. And that's all that matters. Yes. Oh, I love that though. I love that because, you know, as I was watching the movie for the first time, I didn't ever get the sense that she was evil or just horrible, you know. I got the sense that she was a little traumatized and she had had some really hard things happen to her and she had known a lot of loss and grief and she was just doing her best and hopefully willing to open up her perspective a little bit at the end there, right, and <laughs> make some changes and everything. So. I can totally see how she might not be your favorite, but I felt like you treated her with respect. And I did feel like Pedro's desperation did come through, at least for me, when I was reading it. Because, yeah, like, his family, he suddenly has them back, and that's everything. And I love how you pointed out that for him, the loss was even greater, because he lost everything, not just his wife, but his kids, too. And so... I can absolutely see how that desperation to fit in and to want to be a part of them and not to be sent away or not to have something happen where they all hate him, you know, I can see why that would be so important to him to get it right. So he's so earnest to me in this fan fiction, like so earnest in his efforts to connect. I think that my favorite scenes personally were the Bruno scenes. I felt like with Bruno... I don't know if you were coming at this from a cultural point of view or whatever, but being the only son, maybe Bruno felt maybe a little bit more pressure than his siblings did a little bit, right? And so he wants to be so good for his dad. And I felt like he just felt like he would never measure up to that. I loved that you let him show that trauma of being in those walls for 10 years because you can't live in isolation in walls of a house for 10 years and not be affected by that. You know? Exactly. <laughs> just, he didn't just come out and was like, okay, I'm back. Exactly. That up where we, where we ended things, sending us back. That stays with you. 10 years, that's a lot of time. It does. And you show that in such a believable way especially in the way that he's interacting with his father, his father who he's never met. And that pressure to be the strong son, Pedro's only son, 
and that pressure just kind of weighs on him. And, and so it was very interesting to me to see that and to see how his siblings, I think, also recognize that, oh my gosh, there's a lot of pressure here. We need to be careful with Bruno here. And I just, I loved that. Yeah, you mentioned that everyone reacts differently. And I put especially a lot of thought about that into the triplets. They are all having different feelings about this. Peppa is just, there's a lot of happiness. She's, in my mind, Peppa is Papa's girl. <laughs> she just loves that he's back and she tries to push all these negative feelings about it to the back because she's just happy. And she, there's a scene where she wonders out loud, aren't you happy that he's back? And that Julieta and, and Bruno, of course we are, but, and, and she doesn't quite get that, but, She actually does because there's a lot of rage inside of her about how this whole thing happened. She's the one that feels the most about this unfairness of it all. She's the first one to recognize how unfair it all is. How this miracle didn't just save them, it also took away a lot from them. And there's a lot of rage inside of her. And, and Julieta is, she's cautious about this. She recognizes that she doesn't really know her father. She has recognized early on that uh, the, all this, these stories, they can't be true. No one is perfect. No one is always nice. No one is always honest. No one is always strong. She ha has recognized that very early on. And she was like for herself, well, I guess I'll never get to know him because I can't ask my mom, was my dad ever mean? Was my dad ever lying? Did she ever hurt you because he was stupid? She can't exactly ask her mother that, and so she has said to herself, I guess I will never get to know the real him, and suddenly he's there. Suddenly he's in front of her in the kitchen, and she can ask him all the stuff, and that's heavy in a different way. It is. She is cautious, yes. Yeah, she's very cautious about this whole thing, and Bruno is just uh, terrified because everyone was always telling him, you look like your father. But you are nothing like your father, and he was strong, and you were weak, he was nice, and you only bring bad luck to everyone. And he could tell himself that, ah, they're just, they're just telling stories. Much like Julieta, he re realized that they were all just hemming it up, <laughs> so to speak. And she, he could tell himself that they weren't right. His father is just like him, or was just like him, and, and suddenly he's there, and, Where Julieta wants to get to know her father, Bruno's afraid to get to know his father because what if he is just like the stories? What if he is just like they said and he is disappointed in me because I really am nothing like him, which is not true, of course, but trauma. He gotta work through it. He gotta get to know his dad for himself and he just gotta do it. And he's a little bit afraid of doing it, but he'll get there. Yes, I have a feeling that he will, with a lot of support. I just thought it was so brilliant and so real. Yeah, how you broke it down into all of those different perspectives and how they all have their own set of fears and ways of approaching it. And it was it's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And I love how you've done that. It made me very curious about your writing process, because I wanted to know, like, when you first decided to do this project with this story, Did you plan it out and plot it out? Or are you more like a spontaneous writer? How did that look like with your process? It's a little bit weird. I can't really put it into words. I think it's 50-50. So I do plan a story in advance, but not every little scene and every little happenstance. I get ideas for certain scenes and interactions, and I know where I want to go. 
and uh, I note them down so I don't forget. And with this story, for example, I just went with the flow for the first five chapters, I think. And then I started to open a notes app and, and was like, okay, I gotta figure out what I want to happen in what chapter. And I planned it out, really fragmented, just what I want to happen and how I want to end the story. That's that's my biggest flaw, that I start a story and don't really know how I want to end it. <laughs> and so I was like at chapter five or six or something, I was like, I gotta figure out how I want to resolve all of this. I gotta figure out how I want to end this. And so I did the notes and I was like, okay, it's gonna be somewhere between 17 and 18 chapters and this and that is gonna happen. And when I get to the chapter that I have written down in notes, I start to flesh out all those scenes and ideas that I had. But while writing, I always get ideas that sometimes change the tone of the entire chapter or adds a detail that changes the way a later chapter will go because it adds another conflict or layer. I can give an example without spoiling too much, I think. Isabella got into a fight with a random girl in the village in one chapter, in an earlier chapter. And that scene wasn't planned. It was more of a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. But after I've written it, I got an idea how I could pick that up again later, at a later time, for a very important scene that I wanted to happen for a long time. So the fight will be kind of important later on, but it started as a inconsequential spur-of-the-moment thing. <laughs> so that that's, happens a lot. That happens all the time in the story. I am sitting down to write a chapter, and while I'm writing the chapter, I get ideas. And uh, it changes a lot sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't change anything, but I like the idea and put it in anyway. So, and basically, uh, the actual writing part, I write down a first draft, and this first draft is always a mess. It's bad. I just write it down as it comes into my head, and, and when I don't quite know what or how I want to say it, I just do a key smash with my forehead or something <laughs> and and or write the passage in German so I can look it up later. And the first draft is really, really bad and nothing I would ever show anyone. Uh, I just want to get the general feeling of the chapter down and the scenes so I can go over it again and again and flesh them out. I sometimes do four or five drafts, so to speak, until I'm done, actually. And the first draft is significantly shorter than the actual end product, too. The first draft is something like 6,000 words, maybe, and the one I upload is then somewhere between eight and 9,000 because I've added so much and I've changed so much. And yeah, so it's a process and it's a long process. That's why sometimes it takes a bit to update, but I try to not keep the people waiting too long. <laughs> no, I love that. Like you said, it's kind of a 50-50. You have elements of planning in there, but then you can also go with the flow. When you get inspired to do something, you can do that and let it integrate into the story. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Was there a scene from your fan fiction that's been like your favorite to write so far? I have a lot of favorites, to be honest. But I do especially love the triplet scene where after the first breakfast with Pedro, they go to that little place that is all their own and they stand on that edge. Not for any edgy reasons, but just because it's a free place where they don't have to worry about anyone hearing them or feeling Pepper's storm because Pepper lets loose. She just 
screams into the nothingness and just lets loose with her storm and Bruno and, and Julietta are with her and they hold her hand and they weather the storm with her and it's just a release because like I said Pepper has the most rage about all of this the most this is so unfair why did this happen to us the miracle took something from us again because I mean Pepper and Dolores have the gift apart from Bruno also but Pepper and Dolores have the gifts that I think have the most drawbacks like Pepper, she's sad and suddenly there's a rainstorm. I mean, oh, I, I couldn't live like that. And Dolores hears everything and it's always loud for her. And, and so Pepper is like, didn't this miracle already take enough from us? She's the one that struggles the most after the rebuilding of Casita. And so she just lets loose on that cliff and her siblings are with her and they have their first talk about this whole situation like aren't you happy of course i'm happy but and they try to reassure themselves uh, and each other and it's just the first glimpse we get into their thought process and yeah i just love writing that i had that image in my head for a long long time long before i started writing i think actually and when i got to the point where I could finally put it down on paper I was really happy and really excited about it and I went full-on poetical about it. I loved that scene too. I loved it because it, it, there were so many emotions flying around you know. Some of my favorite times of my whole life have been serious conversations that I've had with my siblings and so seeing them have a very serious conversation and being comfortable enough with each other as siblings to let out all of their thoughts and emotions with each other because it feels safe to do that. I really love to see that. I thought it was a beautiful scene. Absolutely gorgeous. I just love their closeness. And we didn't see a lot of that in the movies. So I, I craved that. And I, of course, I put it in my own story as well. <laughs> I just love them being loving with each other, just uh, being good siblings and good sisters and a good brother. and. Yeah, that's why I think that's my favorite, actually. And a lot of people said that they love that chapter and that made me very happy. Yes, I can absolutely see why people would say that. And it is so much fun to see them interacting that way. I know this isn't quite found family because they are like a literal family. It still tickles the same emotional beats with that drone, so... I wanted to give this fic a found family feeling because one of the tags I used was is it found family if the found family is a father you thought was dead for 50 years? <laughs> so I, I wanted to give that feeling because they are family, but 50 years, I can't just repeat, 50 years apart, they don't know shit about each other. So it is kind of found family in that way. It is in that respect, because yeah, that's a lot to catch up on. And now they all have to get to know each other for the first time. So yes. Yes, it actually is found family in that respect. I love that. So I was wondering, because you've been writing for a while, what's the best piece of writing advice that you've ever received? Well, I always try to keep in mind, I think it was Neil Gaiman who said it. He was asked at what point he knows when the story is done and what point he stops rewriting the story. And he was like, I never know it. I'm never done writing the story. You are never done with the story. There's always stuff you can do better or you want to change or there's always a sentence you're not 110% happy with and you just got to stop at some point or you lose yourself and you'll never finish. I looked it up. He was like, 
Write your story as it needs to be written. Write it honestly and tell it as best as you can. And I try to keep that in mind. Like, it's never gonna be perfect. I reread some of my stuff and I'm like, oh, I, I wish I had written that sentence differently or I wish I had added a little dialogue here. Always. There's not one story where I'm like, this doesn't need improvement. There's one story where I'm like, I wouldn't change anything about the way I wrote it, but maybe a, a word here or there. But other than that, I'm always rereading and I'm always like, oh, oh, I wish I had done this or that differently. But when you never stop doing that, you never get anything done. You never get it out there. Um, that feeling will never go away. And that's okay because the stuff you wrote three months ago, that's not the same as that you write now. You evolve, of course. And so when you reread stuff, you've written half a year ago or something. Of course you find things that you want differently because you're a different person, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it isn't just perfect the way it is. You just gotta stop and get it done. <laughs> so to speak. Yes. Give yourself permission to not be perfect and give yourself permission to evolve. Exactly. You will always think there's something I could have done better, but... In the moment you hit that upload button, it's perfect the way it is in that moment. And that's all that matters. I love that. That's beautiful advice, especially for some of our newer fan fiction writers out there. I think that that's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I was wondering if you had any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to share with us here on the podcast today. Oh, do I have some? Yes. There are so many. I limited myself to Encanto writers because we're talking about Encanto. First of all, I can only recommend um, to just browse the Encanto tag because there are a lot of hidden gems. But I'm going to name a few. <laughs> There's Glitter Nightingale. They are currently writing a wonderful series called What in a Reaper Can't Heal. And it deals with the fallout of Bruno living in the wards and reuniting with a family. The story is really compelling and the correct characterization is just Pep's kiss. I just, I love it a lot. There has just been added another chapter yesterday, I think. It's pretty consistent uploading, and I just love it a lot. It's just really great fic, and I can just recommend it. And then there's Sokka's first fangirl, who writes wonderful family-centric stories, and I especially adore her Encanto crossovers. Like, she did a crossover between Encanto and Tangled, and that's... Oh, wow! You don't think it works, but it does. It does. It works beautifully, but probably because Sokka's first fangirl did it. <laughs> I reread that all the time. I love that a lot. Then there's Penance and Pizza, who is writing some really, really great Grumpy Bruno content. I think we forget sometimes that he can be pretty grumpy. Yes. <laughs> He's an old grumpy man deep down. <laughs> And a little bit of smut, too, with a very cute OC bookshop owner. They're idiots in love, and they are adorable. I can only recommend that. And I don't know, you probably haven't heard of that yet, but there's a little bit of a discussion about Bruno's mystery stomach. In some of the scenes, you can see that he's got a little bit of stomach, and it's not very noticeable, but when you see it, you, you can't unsee it, so let's say it like that. And there's a lot of discussion about why it's there. And a lot of people think it's because of malnutrition, because if you don't get a lot of food, like in the walls, probably, he didn't get a lot of food. 
you are skinny, but you get a little stomach because it, it just bulges. And uh, Waiting on a Vision and C. Nettles are two writers who write wonderful stories about that problem. They write wonderful stories about that, about Julietta fattening him up again because she know, knows the science of malnutrition and wants to help him. And it's just very wholesome. And I really love their stories about that. I want to write one too, but I haven't found time yet. But uh, you should check them out, definitely. And then there is Min Silhouette, who has only written one Encanto story so far, but it's mind-blowingly amazing. It's an Anastasia AU. Oh, wow! It's so great. It's uh, Bruno in the, in the role of Anastasia. And the prose and the setting and everything, I just... I squeal every time I see an update and I just urge everyone to check it out. And, well, just to name a few now so that it doesn't get too long, for really good stories, you should also definitely check out the writers The Stable Ground, Ambitextral Space Samurai, Used to be Guest, 1, 2, 3. I almost forgot that. Used to be Guest, 1, 2, 3. <laughs> Metaphorical Tigers and Rihanna. And you can find them all on AO3 or on Tumblr, and they're all great and write wonderful stories. I just love them. Let's just leave it at that. Thank you so much for those shout-outs and those recommendations. We'll make sure that the links for all of those writers get up on the show notes so that people can check those out, because they sound wonderful. I'd like to check some of those stories out myself. They sound amazing. Lots of different wonderful stories, and... Like I said, they all see Bruno a little bit different and they all interpret him a little bit different and all the characters, not just Bruno, all the characters. And I can only urge you to check them out. They're really great. It'll never stop fascinating me how amazing it is that we get so many different perspectives on the same characters through fan fiction. Like That never gets old to me. Before we end for today, and I think I said this at the beginning of the show, but we actually do have quite a few listeners out in Germany. So I was wondering if there was anything that you wanted to say to our fellow fan fiction writers and readers out in Germany in your native language. Sure, I would love to. Um, here it comes. Hallo, ihr. Ich hoffe, mein deutscher Akzent war nicht zu krass, nicht zu sehr ablenkend. Ich hatte da echt ein bisschen Sorge, aber ich dachte mir, das ist hier eine einmalige Chance und die muss ich einfach nutzen. Und ähm, ich würde mich echt freuen, mit mehr Leuten aus Deutschland in Kontakt zu treten, die auch Fanfiction lieben. Egal, ob ihr nur lest oder ob selber schreibt, meldet euch doch mal. Und an alle da draußen, die denken, sie würden ganz gerne selber schreiben, aber sie trauen sich nicht, traut euch. Das, das macht einfach nur Spaß und es findet sich immer jemand, der genau auf eure Idee gewartet hat. Und ähm, macht's einfach. Es ist, äh, ihr könnt nichts verlieren und es macht Spaß und die Community ist äh, wundervoll. Und äh, ja, lasst mal von euch hören. Vielen Dank fürs Zuhören vor allen Dingen. So, that was that. <lacht> A huge thank you to the international listeners that we have, to the show. I see you. I appreciate you, and I just love that we have this big, beautiful fanfiction community all over the world. We can all come from different places, but we all connect on these stories and these characters, and I think that that's just a beautiful thing, that no matter where we are in the world, that we can come together as a community and enjoy these things together. So thank you to the international audience, because you guys are all just so amazing. Ace with a Paintbrush, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to join us today. 
This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so, so much for having me. It was really fun. And I was really nervous at first because of a lot of reasons, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And it was so much fun. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. The pleasure was all mine. Folks, check out her stories on AO3. Give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs>